This evening, I can sympathize with uh, Roger kind of uh, stumbling over that passage a little bit. I did that this morning, I'm sure you noticed. Uh, I was trying to cite Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 33, and um, I just mentioned the wrong verse. It's a little lost there for a while. It says, You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live, that it may be well with you, that you may prolong your days in the land which you'll possess. And so the point, of course, was to be with the Lord. We must walk in the way of the Lord. And that's the passage that I was trying to cite, although I kind of bungled it this morning, kind of garbled it. But that was the passage I was trying to refer to, Deuteronomy 6 and verse 33. We're going to just ask for a little show of hands, uh, if, if you'd like. I'm going to ask, what, what's your favorite book of the Bible? Every now and then somebody will ask me, what's your favorite book of the Bible? And my answer usually is, well, it depends on what I'm studying at the time. You know, sometimes it's this book, if I'm studying it, and sometimes if I'm studying that, that well, that's my favorite book, and it might be, might be something else. So just raise your hand if your favorite book is the Psalms. No? Oh, okay, Wes, okay, good, there are a few. How about if your favorite book is Romans? Raise your hand. Oh, Chuck, his favorite book is Romans. If I was, sometimes I think maybe Psalms is one of my favorites and Romans is one of my favorites. How about Ephesians? If Ephesians is your favorite book, all right. All right, Linda, Mary, okay, good. How about the book of Genesis? Favorite book? No, no take. All right, back here, good, all right. Some of the... Some of the young, younger ones, some of the kids are saying Genesis. That, that is a good book, especially for kids. How about Numbers? Anybody favorite book, Numbers? No, no, no takers. Well, I've been reading in the book of Numbers lately, and it's a great book. Now, not all of it is just engaging reading, of course, but there are episodes in the life of Israel in Numbers that are outstanding. They, they teach wonderful lessons, and... And there are stories that we would recognize very easily. We looked at one of them a week or two ago, Balaam's donkey. That's from the book of Numbers. A lot of us know that story. We're going to look at another one tonight, which takes place in the life of Moses. Some of you, I think, have probably seen that in person. It's Michelangelo's sculpture of Moses in in Rome. I wonder what those horns are up there at the top of uh, Moses' head. And that comes from a misunderstanding of Exodus chapter 34, verse 29, where Moses comes down from Mount Sinai, and it says that he did not know that the skin of his face shone because of his speaking with him, because God had spoken with him. The word shone there is from a word that sometimes translated to display horns. I think some of the ancient translations... That, that comes across. And so a lot of times you'll see Moses in a painting or sculpture. He's got these, he's got these horns that kind of harken back to this passage in which the face of Moses was shining when he came down from Mount Sinai. But that's not what we're going to talk about. That's not even in the book of Numbers. What we're going to talk about tonight is Moses at Meribah. And so let's go to Numbers chapter 20. Moses at Meribah. Moses was no doubt one of the greatest men in history, certainly one of the greatest men in Bible history. There are a lot of outstanding men and women in the Bible, but Moses, well, he would be outstanding even among them. His unusual birth story 
portends His greatness. He was born during ter- perilous times in Israel's history. They, Israel had been enslaved in, in Egypt for about 400 years. The Pharaoh began to fear the Israelites. They were increasing in number. Their population was growing, and, and he was afraid. You know, when the number of slaves outnumber the number of slave owners, the slave owners begin to get a little nervous, and you can see why. And so he was afraid that if someone were to attack Egypt, Israel would join with them, and that would be the beginning of Egypt's de- demise. And so he ordered all the, uh, all the male Israelite children to be killed uh, in order to decrease the population. Moses' parents, of course, saved him, uh, hid him for several months at home, put him in a basket made of bulrushes, and then placed him out in, in the Nile. And he was discovered there by Pharaoh's daughter, And so she takes him from, recognizes him as a Hebrew child, takes him from the water, and she's going to take him to her home and raise him as her own son. Unbeknownst to her, uh, Moses' sister Miriam arranges for Moses' mother to take care of him. And until he's old enough to move into the home of Pharaoh's daughter, his own mother took care of him. When he did move in to the home of Pharaoh's daughter. He was taught all the wisdom of the Egyptians and became mighty in word and deeds in his own right, Acts chapter 7 and verse 22 says. When Moses was about 40 years old, he took a stand for his brethren. You remember that occasion. But things went awry and he fled into Midian where he became a shepherd for a man named Jethro. At about 80 years old, God chose him to go to Egypt and lead the Israelites out. And, and he does, reluctantly, but, but he does. Here's a, just a list of accomplishments of Moses. He rejects his position in Egypt and takes a stand for Israel. He accepts God's call to lead Israel out of Egypt, though reluctantly. He stands before Pharaoh and demands that he let the people go. He's God's agent in bringing the plagues upon Egypt. He establishes the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He leads the people out of Egypt. He leads them through the Red Sea. He mediates between the people and God when they grumble and complain. He acts as judge when the Israelites have a complaint. And you remember, the burden becomes so heavy that his father, Jethro, recommends that he get some help in, in that work. He provides water from the rock in Rephidim, Exodus 17. He leads in the defeat of Amalek. He receives the law at Mount Sinai. He intercedes for the people in the golden calf incident. He sees the glory of God pass by, Exodus 34. He successfully constructs the tabernacle and its furnishings. That's about a list of about 15 accomplishments of Moses. And again, an outstanding, outstanding biblical figure. Look at Numbers chapter 12 uh, before we get into the heart of the lesson. God describes His relationship with Moses in verse 6. Hear my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form of the Lord Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? Moses 
Now, there are prophets, but Moses is different. I speak with him directly, mouth to mouth. And so that's just an indication of the greatness of Moses. And something is similar said about, something similar said about Moses at the end of his life in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Moses was a, a great man. No doubt about it, accomplished great things for the Lord. But he wasn't a perfect man, and he made some mistakes. In fact, he makes a mistake at Meribah. And so let's think about that. Numbers chapter 20. We'll give, just begin reading in verse 1. Now the sons of Israel, the whole congregation, came to the wilderness of Zin in the first month, and the people stayed at Kadesh. Now Miriam died there and was buried there. There was no water for the congregation, and they assembled themselves against Moses and Aaron. The people thus contended with Moses and, and spoke, saying, If only we had perished when our brothers perished before the Lord. Why then have you brought the Lord's assembly into the wilderness for us and our beasts to die here? Why have you made us come up from Egypt to bring us into this wretched place? It is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there water to drink. And so here's the situation. They're out here. At, uh, in the wilderness of Zin, and there's no water to drink, and the people are complaining, what, Moses, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this place? It's, this is a terrible place. No food to eat, no water to drink. Now, this is not the first time this kind of thing had happened. Uh, the people of Israel had grumbled just about... <laughs> the, the moment they got out of Egypt, they started grumbling. So, well, this is not the first time it's happened. In fact, it's happened several times already. Verse 6 tells us, Moses and Aaron came in from the presence of the assembly to the doorway of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. And the Lord spake to Moses. And so the glory of the Lord appears to them. And so the people are quarreling with Moses, or the word here in the New American Standard Bible in verse 3 is they contended with Moses. They're, they're, they're quarreling, they're contending, there's... There's an argument going on, and we don't know Moses' side of the argument. We know the people's side of the argument. Not quite sure what Moses said on this occasion, but he goes to the Lord, and the Lord has some instructions, some instructions for him. Verse 8, Take the rod, and you and your brother Aaron assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes. Now, in Exodus 17, at a place called Rephidim, something similar happened. People didn't have water to drink, and God told Moses on that occasion, take your rod and strike the, strike the rock, and water will come out. And, and, and of course it does. But notice on this occasion, God says, take your rod and speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield water. You shall thus bring forth water for them out of the rock, and let the congregation and their beast drink. So Moses is there and appeal to the Lord. The people don't have anything to drink. They're grumbling. They're complaining. Okay, Moses, here what I, here's what I want you and Aaron to do. Take your rod and speak to the rock. Now, the rod of Moses is an interesting instrument. You see in verse 9, so Moses took the rod from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. So I want to notice those two things from that verse. He took the rod. This is the rod that at the burning bush turned into a serpent. This is the rod that Moses held out to part the Red Sea. This is the rod with which he struck the rock in Rephidim, and the rock brought forth water. This is the rod that he struck the Nile with, and it turned into blood. And so this is a special instrument. Take your rod, 
from before the Lord. So Moses took his rod from before the Lord. And then the last part of that, just as the Lord commanded him. All right, Moses, you're off to a good start. You've taken the rod just as the Lord commanded him. But then we'll proceed with the rest of the story. Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock, and he said to them, Listen now, you rebels, shall we bring forth water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod, and water came forth abundantly in the congregation, and their beasts drank. Very similar to what had happened before in Exodus 17 at Rephidim, where God told Moses to strike the rock. That's what he does here. But on this occasion, remember, that God told him to speak to the rock. Well, Moses lashes out at the people, calls them rebels, and says, Shall we bring you forth water out of this rock? And then he takes his rod and strikes the rock twice. Well, that's a mistake. That, that should not have, have happened. <laughs> I think I can understand why it happened. But still, it should not have happened. And Moses pays the price for that. Verse 12, The Lord said to Moses, Because you have not believed me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which uh, I have given them. Now, he's talking about Mo both Moses and Aaron. Not just Moses, but Moses and Aaron. Neither one of you will bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Those were the waters of Meribah, because the sons of Israel contended with the Lord, and He proved Himself holy among them. So this is a mistake, isn't it? Moses lashing out at the people, striking the rock. The, the complaint that the Lord has about what Moses did is, again, verse 12, You did not believe me. You didn't believe. And it's interesting that he doesn't say anything really about him striking the rock in this comment. You did not believe me to treat me as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel. That's basically, fundamentally, in, in essence, what Moses did wrong. He did not believe in the Lord to treat him as holy in the sight of the sons of Israel, which, of course, led him to strike the rock instead of speaking to the rock. Now, what's the epilogue? How, how, does this, how does this turn out? Well, if you go to the book of Deuteronomy, you'll find that Moses refers back to this event, really, on multiple occasions. We're going to look especially at Deuteronomy chapter 3 and verse 23. Here Moses says, I, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you begun to show your servant your greatness and your strong hand, and what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours. Let me, I pray, cross over and see the fair land that is beyond the Jordan, that good hill country in Lebanon. The Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. And the Lord said to me, Enough. Speak to me no more of this matter. And so the Lord doesn't permit Moses to go over. Even though Moses you know, besought the Lord, apparently multiple occasions, and we would say there in, uh, in verse 20, um, 25, when he says, Let me, I pray, we would say, Please, please, please let me go over. Please let me go over and see the land. Nope. And Moses, I don't want to hear anything more about it. That's, you know, 
If you're a parent, you've probably said that to your children at some, on some occasion. Enough. I don't hear anything more about it. The decision has been made. Stop pestering me about it. And Moses doesn't get to go over. You go to chapter 34 of the book of Deuteronomy, which in my, in my estimation, whatever, for whatever that's worth, this is kind of one of the saddest scenes in the Bible. Here's Moses who's done all this good stuff. We've, we've talked about some of those things. And, and now he's at the end of his life and the children of Israel are about to pass over. He's led them for 40 years, brought them out of Egypt and all of that. And, and, and God says, go up into the mountain and I'll show you that you can look over, but you can't, you can't go over. And so I'm sure Moses saw the land and he was pleased to see it and had good feelings about it. But on the other hand, sad because of... Uh, God prohibiting him from going over. So I just want to draw out a few lessons from all of that. So this book of Numbers, here's a story. We're familiar with the story. But I'll just draw out a few lessons. We always want to honor God by giving him the glory for our blessings, our abilities, our opportunities, all of those things. And so here God is going to provide water from the rock. And instead of Moses saying, God is going to provide us with water. Aren't you, aren't you grateful? Aren't you thankful? Let's give God the glory for providing us water in this dry place. So what he says, shall we bring you forth water out of this rock? You know, as if Moses and Aaron had the power to do that. Of course, they didn't have the power to do that. And so Moses is not treating God as holy before the people. He's not honoring God and giving God the glory for providing the water. We noticed in verse 12, he did not believe in the Lord. He didn't treat him as holy in the sight of Israel. We're not told in you know, specific terms how it is that Moses didn't believe in the Lord. That's, that's startling, isn't it? To read this passage, Moses did not believe in the Lord. It may be that he just, maybe he thought the spoken word was not enough. And he needed that, that addition to the spoken word, the striking of the rock with his rod. But in some way, he lacked confidence in the Lord. He, he didn't believe in the Lord. And then he failed to make God holy or sanctify God in the eyes of Israel. It just seemed that he was claiming the power to provide water for himself and Aaron rather than giving God the glory for it. We all always want to give God the glory. We always want to treat God as holy. We always want to believe and trust in Him. What I have comes from God, and I'm thankful for it, and I give Him the glory for it. What do we have in our life that's good that does not come from God? Well, well nothing. We know James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father. And so everything we have comes from God. And so we want to always acknowledge that. In 1 Timothy chapter 6 and in verse 17, Paul instructs the rich or tells Timothy to instruct the rich in this present world not to be conceited or fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. God richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. Look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews 13 and, and verse 5. 
Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I'll never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? The Lord is my helper. The Lord is providing for me. The Lord is going to provide my, my needs. Which reminds me of the 37th Psalm. Look at the 37th Psalm. And we'll look in uh, verse 25. David says, I've been young, and now I'm old. I've not seen the righteous forsaken, or his descendants begging bread. All day long he is gracious and lends, and his descendants are a blessing. And so the Lord is providing for us. The Lord gives us our needs. We always want to be thankful to Him. We always want to give Him the glory. I believe Roger earlier this evening read from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Do I remember that right, Roger? Deuteronomy chapter 8. Where we have this warning. God gives this warning to, to Israel. Now, I'm about to bring you over into the promised land. And, and when you get over there, you're going to live in houses that you didn't build. And you're going to eat produce that, that you didn't plant. And you're going to enjoy all these blessings. And so... Uh, verse 11, beware that you don't forget the Lord your God by not keeping His commandments, His ordinances, His statutes, which I'm commanding you today. Otherwise, when you've eaten and are satisfied and built good houses and lived in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and gold multiply, and all that you have multiplies, then your heart become proud and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out from the land of Egypt from the house of slaves. We get, we get to that point sometimes. Things are going well, we're paying our bills, we've got a little bit left over, we're able to buy this and that, and we forget the Lord. And it's, it's, it's a shame, really, isn't it? It's a mistake. We all always want to be thankful to the God for what He gives us. We always want to honor Him, to glorify Him uh, for, by giving Him thanks for what He's provided. Secondly, we want to, we, we treat God as holy when we do as He instructs. Are you see that? How do we treat God as holy? When we do what He instructs us to do. How did Moses fail to treat God as holy? He failed to do what God instructed him to do. And so he, he showed, I'm sure he didn't intend to do this, but he showed his disrespect for God when he failed to do what God told him to do. We, we show our respect. We treat God as holy. We sort of sanctify Him in our hearts, so to speak, by doing what He instructs us to do. And so, God told Moses, take your rod, speak to the rock, I'll provide the water. Moses takes his rod. In that case, just as the Lord had commanded him to do, but then he strikes the rock instead of speaking to the rock. And so he shows his lack of respect on this occasion for the Lord by disobeying what the Lord commanded him to do. I couldn't help but contrast that with what I see over at the end of the book of Exodus and the construction of the temple. Uh, and uh, over and over again in that particular passage, we find this refrain, verse 16, Thus Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so did he. 
Verse 19, he did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And verse 21, he did just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And verse 23, he did just as the Lord commanded. What, what a difference. On that occasion, Moses is doing just as the Lord commanded him in all these instructions about the tabernacle. But on this occasion at Meribah, he, he doesn't do that. And, of course, it comes back to haunt him. A couple of observations at this point. God had told Moses to strike the rock on a previous occasion, and uh, he, he does it on that occasion. On this occasion, he tells him to speak to the rock. Notice that God doesn't tell Moses, now don't, don't strike the rock this time. Did you see that? Now that's not, in, that's not in the passage. God doesn't say, now Moses, I want you to speak to the rock and not strike the rock. He doesn't say that, does he? He just tells him what he wants him to do. Just speak to the rock. You just do what I tell you to do. No more, no less, nothing other. And everything will be great. And so, of course, that Moses ends up not doing that. And I just wonder if Moses maybe could have rationalized his actions by recalling the previous event. There's really no rationalizing failure to do as God instructs. So don't we learn from this episode to do what God instructs, no more, no less. Don't we learn that from this episode? That's why we baptize by immersion. Now, I know this passage is not about baptism by immersion. Well, what it's about is you do what the Lord tells you to do. Just do. Now, he doesn't have to tell you, don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other. Just do what He tells you to do, no more, no less, nothing other, and everything will work out great. And so when we see in the New Testament people being baptized by immersion, okay, we will do that. We're not going to try to add something to it or do it a different way. Just, just do that and, and everything will be great. That's why we sing without instruments. You, you, you read in the New Testament where the church sang, 1 Corinthians 14, 15, and, and they uh, would sing and make melody in their heart, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, 16. Just, just sing, just like God told Moses, speak to the rock, just, just sing. And so, nothing more, nothing less, just do exactly what we find there in Scripture. This is why we take the Lord's Supper on every Sunday morning. Acts 20 and verse 7, the disciples met on the first day of the week to break bread. So, all right, we're going to follow that example. We're just going to do what we find there. Just follow those instructions. That's why we limit the work of the church to certain activities. That's why we appoint elders and deacons to oversee and serve the local church. And so, this principle... Do what the Lord says. Just, just do that. Just do only that, and everything will be great. That's just an, an illustration of the principle we're following in these other matters. We demonstrate our respect for God. We set Him apart as holy when we do just as He instructs us to do. When we act outside those instructions, we get into trouble. We, we transgress. A third point we want to make. We need to learn to exercise self-control in all circumstances. <laughs> I understand. You can sympathize with Moses, can't you? He's been dealing with these people for a number of years. They complain constantly. They're murmuring. They're uh, ungrateful. They, they just gripe all the time. And, and Moses gets frustrated with them. God's providing for them. He, he's giving them quail to eat and manna to eat, and He's always provided water when they needed it. 
As a matter of fact, when you get to the end of the story, you know, your clothes didn't wear out, your shoes didn't wear out, you had what you needed, and yet they grumble and complain and gripe. It seems constantly. And Moses finally, it just, it just seems like he snaps. His emotions get the better of him. In fact, in Psalm 106, verses 32 through 33, in that particular passage which reviews this event, it says that Moses spoke rashly. That's, that's an emotional response, isn't it? He spoke rashly, rashly. And so his emotions are stirred up. He lets those emotions get away with him or get away from him. And that leads to serious error. We got to learn to control our emotions or at least control our behavior when our emotions are stirred. You know, we could say Moses got carried away. So I was thinking about that expression the other day as I was kind of preparing for this. He got carried away. We say that sometimes when our emotions get stirred up and we say something and do, or do something that, that you know, we really sh- we, you know, we speak rashly or act rashly. So he got carried away. Just, that's true. Just think about that expression. It's as if some force from outside ourselves comes in and kind of lifts us up and moves us, transports us from where we are. To some, we, we get carried away. And that's, that's a pretty good description of what happens. Our emotions come in and they just transport us to a place where sometimes we really didn't think we would go or didn't really want to go. Just get carried away. Oh, we got to learn to resist that, don't we? we? We've got to learn to control our emotions and control our behavior when those emotions get stirred. It's not for no reason that warnings against speaking rashly are found very closely to warnings against anger. A good case in point, we we looked at this this morning in a little bit different light. Ephesians chapter uh, 4 and verse uh, 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger, there you got wrath and anger, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all malice. So look at the close association there in that list. Anger and wrath and clamor and slander. Again, I I think it's not for no reason that anger, warnings against anger and warnings against rash speaking are often found close together. If you go over to Colossians chapter 3, you kind of find the same thing uh, where... uh, uh, he says in, let's see, this is uh, verse 8. But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. All, all right there together. You see, when we're angry, that leads to inappropriate speech. And we could look, look at other examples of that as well. On the other hand, sometimes even when we get so excited... Get, get so excited about something that we make statements or do things that really later on we live to regret. I think about the Mount of Transfiguration and, and Peter. And he sees the Lord transfigured, you know, and there's Moses and Elijah. He gets so excited. Hey, it's good for us to be here. Let's build three tabernacles. One, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And no, 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 no. No, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You listen to him. So sometimes it's not anger, it's just we just get so excited about a situation that we don't think about what we're doing and we make some mistakes. And so 
We've got to learn to exercise self-control. And then finally, and maybe most importantly, <laughs> the story teaches us that the consequences of our sin can be long-lasting and severe. Moses transgressed God's instruction at Meribah. He was forgiven. No question about that. We said just a moment ago, Matthew 17, He appears with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration. In the book of Revelation, the redeemed are singing the song of Moses and the Lamb. He was forgiven and He went to heaven. But He suffered throughout the rest of His lifetime the consequences of His actions. Not permitted to enter into the promised land, even though He pleaded with the Lord to let Him go in. How many times did he lay in his bed at night thinking about this mistake and just overcome with remorse for his actions? Another case of long-lasting and severe consequences is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12 with the death of David's child after he's committed adultery with Bathsheba. And uh, the, David besought the Lord and prayed to the Lord, and yet because of his actions, the child died. The consequences of sin can be severe. There's really no way that we can see all the consequences of our actions, good or bad for that matter, but we're thinking about the consequences of sin and, 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 the, and just the consequences that are, are severe. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, look at that passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. There, there Paul is taking up the matter of marriage, and, and on this occasion, marriage and divorce. He says in verse 10, To the married I give instructions, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave or divorce her husband in this context. If she does leave, she must remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. And so, and so if, you, if you do this, here are your options. Remain unmarried or, or be reconciled. There are consequences to your actions if you do wrong. Here are your choices. If you're going to be approved by God, remain unmarried or be reconciled. Now if you remarry, what the Lord says is, that's, that's adultery. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. And those are some severe consequences. And they might be lifelong lasting consequences as well. So we consider very carefully our, our actions. Injury, illness, death, whether we experience the death ourselves or cause the death of another. Broken friendships as a result of our actions, broken homes, loss of position, ruined influence, a conscience that plagues us, all can result from you know, our, our mistake, our sin. More than one young woman has had her life changed completely and for the rest of her life because of an unexpected child. All for, as we sing sometimes, a moment's reckless folly. <laughs> that's, that's, that describes Moses' actions, doesn't it? A moment's reckless folly. And it affected his life for the rest of his life. And so let's take this point. As a deterrent against sin, understand before you yield to temptation that the consequences may be severe and long-lasting. How often, maybe you've experienced this in your own life, probably most of us have, how, how, when we're in a situation and you look back and you just you think, you know, if I'd just done right in the beginning, if I'd just done, when all this situation began to unfold, if I, in the beginning, if I'd just done the right thing, I wouldn't be in this mess. All right. 
Let's just do it right from the beginning <laughs> and avoid the consequences of our mistakes. Later on in Numbers chapter 27, verses 13 and 14, God says, Moses rebelled against God's command. Again, that's strong language. We don't, we're not used to reading those kind of things about Moses. Moses rebelled against God's commandment. It's a warning to all of us. For so it also gives us hope, doesn't it? Moses endured the consequences of his sin and gained the victory over it in eternity. Okay? So Moses sinned, suffers the consequences, the temporal consequences of his sin. He endures those faithfully. He overcomes in eternity. And that's a lesson for us as well. And so if we are involved in a bad situation and suffering the consequences of sin, okay, look, just, just be faithful, do what's right, endure those, and overcome them in eternity. Well, here's Moses at Meribah. Right out of the book of Numbers, nobody said Numbers was their favorite book. I wasn't surprised at that. But it's really got some very valuable uh, lessons to learn. And so I uh, hope that we've learned from this one. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the word that you've revealed to us. We're thankful for all the information that you've, that are, it's at our disposal. We're thankful that we can read it and we can understand it. We can learn from it. We, we can learn the lessons that you would have us to learn. Father, we, we see the, the mistakes of others in the past. We see their, where they fall short, their transgression. Help us, Father, to learn from that so that we don't make the same mistakes. Help us to think about this episode, to think about it seriously and deeply. Help us to see where Moses, the great Moses, fell short. Help us to understand that we may fall short as well and prepare ourselves against the temptation to sin. Help us always to glorify you. Help us to, to uh, treat you as holy by keeping your word. Help us, Father, to control our behavior and control our emotions even when they're stirred. And Father, help us simply to do your will so that we don't have to suffer those long-lasting consequences of sin. Help us to endure, help us to persevere so that we might have that home in heaven with you in eternity. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're